Welcome to Exodus, California. I'm your host, Joanne Kraft, and my husband, Paul, will be your co-host as we share our story about how we left California and made our home in the rolling hills of Tennessee. Exodus, California is a podcast for Californians who've had enough and are getting ready to pull the trigger and make that move out of a state they once loved. Welcome to Exodus, California, moving to Tennessee. I am your host, Joanne Kraft, and I am here with my co-host and husband, Paul Kraft. Hey, y'all. Well, have you been watching U-Haul trucks come and go, taking lots of your family and friends out of state? Maybe you're spending all your time researching the perfect exit strategy. Well, what in the world are you waiting for? That's our topic today. What are you waiting for? Today's show is for that listener of ours stuck in what Paul and I like to call, do you know what I'm going to say? Analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis. Before we jump into that topic, I want to put a spotlight on those of you who have really been fantastic at reviewing our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. We want to really thank you guys. So we decided we're going to start highlighting reviews of the month. So we're going to start today with Schwazi. Uh, AKA Deborah, and she had this to say about our podcast. Very informative. My son referred me to your podcast. I'm enjoying listening about your experiences before and after your decision to move to Tennessee. I'm considering that giant step to leave California. I currently live in Southern California, but have also lived in Northern California. Tennessee seems very desirable. Thank you for this podcast. Very helpful. And I believe there's about five exclamation points, Paul. And we appreciate the reviews and all the listeners. We're really uh, grateful that you guys have taken time to listen to this podcast. Okay. And since we're talking about reviews, before we jump into our episode, um, we received uh, our very first one-star review. And we do appreciate the reviews and the feedback. We do appreciate our listeners. And we know we have the most intelligent listeners in the podcast universe because, well, you're listening to this podcast, which is evidence of your intelligence. And the person that left the one-star review, I believe they listened to two or three episodes before they reached that conclusion. And, you know, I expect better from our critics. You should be able to figure out in the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes max, that we're worthy of one star. Come on now, do better. So the real reason why you're all here is to listen to the next episode. And what are you waiting for? That's what we decided we're going to be talking about today because we have a great opportunity to talk to all kinds of people and actually not just in California, people moving to Tennessee from Washington, from Oregon. And these folks usually have one or two reasons that they feel kind of hung up in not moving forward. And so we decided to go through the bullet points today. And I'm just curious as to how many of you are going to go, wow, that's me. Uh, So uh, without further ado, here we go. And I'm going to lob these to you, Paul, and then you can answer. Okay. We'll we'll see how that goes. Okay. So, you know, what are you waiting for? After people have researched and researched, here's one I hear a lot. They're waiting for interest rates to come down. Well, as with a lot of things in real estate and the stock market and interest rates, nobody knows what the future uh, tells. What we do know is interest rates are at historical lows. And we've been spoiled for quite some time. Back in the you know 70s and 80s, interest rates were high double digits, 16, 17, 18%. Now, even in the 90s, interest rates hovered around 7, 8%. 
And people thought, those are historical lows. I mean, this is great. We'll never go lower than this. And then we got down into the fives. Now we're down into the threes. And in fact, we've had some people uh, get loans in the twos, especially if you're a VA borrower. You can get loans that are under 3%. So we've become spoiled with these low interest rates. Quite frankly, interest rates really can't go much lower just because of how the market works. So waiting for low interest rates is somewhat speculative to the negative because interest rates right now are at about the lowest they're going to go. They might go down one percentage point, so maybe at some point we'll see interest rates in the twos for your conventional borrower. But think about how that translates into dollars. So if an interest rate goes from 3.5% to 2.5% on a $500,000 house, over the life of that 30-year loan, your monthly payment's only affected by a couple hundred dollars. Now, I'm not downplaying a couple hundred dollars, but when you're talking about a move to better your family and to better your lifestyle, to create a better future, do you really want to risk that future on $200 a month? Thank you, Paul. So bullet point number two that I hear quite often Some of you are waiting for the market to go a little bit higher so your house will sell for more. You're trying to time the market uh, to get the most out of the market that you can for your house. And that's totally understandable. Everybody wants to sell at the height of the market. But I'll just remind everybody that almost nobody is able to predict what the top of the market's going to be. And if you go back to 06, 07, before the mortgage meltdown, you could have all kinds of commentators talking about how this market still has legs, there's still room for the housing market to grow. Um, So nobody really saw the, the mortgage meltdown coming. Those that did knew it was going to come, but didn't know when. So trying to time the top of the market is really a fool's errand. If anybody could do it, they would. They'd be multimillionaires and billionaires and everything else, but nobody is that good. The risk that you run is if you wait for the top of the market, when the market does turn, instead of chasing prices up, you're now chasing prices down. And you're trying to cut the price of your house so quick to be able to get out in front of that downturn that you end up you know, potentially in some kind of a free fall. And the psychological impact of that is very negative. So it's kind of depressing to watch your housing price get cut and cut and cut while you try and get out in front of the downturn. And keep in mind that if California does take a downturn, it's likely to be more severe than the rest of the country just because of California's run up in real estate. Whereas places like Tennessee, if there is going to be a downturn, it's going to be much more mild. So there is a possibility that the house that you like in Tennessee may be worth more than your house in California, and now you can't afford to buy that house. And now you're stuck in California in a house that's losing market value. So waiting for the market to go a little higher is not always your best plan. And and Paul and I like to have, we have this saying, a pig gets fat and a hog gets slaughtered. And, you know, you don't want to get slaughtered uh, waiting because you're waiting for that. Ex- we have so many stories. I wish we had more time of people who have done just that and have been slaughtered. First of all, we're recording the podcast. We can take as much time as we want. So waiting for the mark to go a little higher. Not a good excuse, you guys. It's not. And if you wait till the end of the podcast, Paul and I are going to be talking about some speculation, pure speculation about the California market. On to bullet point three, or what I should have been doing as numbering them. Reason number three uh, that people tell us 
They're waiting to leave. Reason number three is, you know what? I'm waiting for the perfect job in Tennessee to hire me. I want to find a job that makes just as much money uh, in Tennessee as it does in California. I guess my response to that would be, why are you moving? If you're moving because of the of your job and, the, and you want that perfect job or career change, that's one thing. If you're moving because you want to give yourself and your family and your kids a better opportunity, then the perfect job is really any job. Um, you do what you have to do to, to make that work. And we've had people that have done that, uh, gotten out here, gotten established, and then uh, went and moved on to a job that better suited what they were looking for. I mean, when we first moved here, I had to go back to law school. Um, I wasn't able to practice law here. I wasn't able to be a real estate broker here. So I had to go back to law school so that I could take the bar exam. We did what we had to do to try to make that work. Now, if you are moving here for work, you can still you know, apply for jobs or doing remote interviews by Zoom. You can submit resumes online. So there are ways to look for that job. You don't have to actually be here in Tennessee, but also put yourself out in this scenario if an employer does want to do an in-person interview, you can fly from California to Tennessee. Even if you book a last-minute ticket, you're probably looking at less than $1,000 round trip. Is $1,000 worth the investment to provide your family with a better opportunity? I talked to the Nita's family the other day, and they are just like what you said. It really is a long game. It's not a short game. And if you're looking at it and you want to slide right into your same salary from last month to this month, that's that's hard to do. And there's so many things we can't quantify. And we've talked about it in, in former po- uh, episodes. But this family's coming out and the mom is going to work nights just for six months so they can qualify for a house. Now, does this mom want to work nights? No, she does not want to work nights. I hated working graveyard shifts. But you do what you got to do to make it work. And you don't pay attention to everybody else. I know it's hard when people are watching and not everybody is very glowing about leaving California. And and it's hard to tell them, hey, I'm going to go work twice as hard for a few months um, to have a better life. And they think, well, what are you doing that for? You're here. Everything's great. Well, they don't see what you're seeing. And so, like I said, it's a long game. It's a long game. And when it comes to looking at salaries, remember to look at the bottom number, your net. If you just look at gross salary, Tennessee is never going to beat California, ever. If you take uh, somebody in California, an auto mechanic, and you move them here to Tennessee, if all they're looking at their gross salary, a mechanic in California is always going to gross more than a mechanic in Tennessee. What you have to look at is the net. What do you get to keep at the end? after all the deductions are made and then you factor in property taxes and utilities and vehicle registration and gas and all those other expenses, how much you actually getting to keep because, you know, while the job will pay you a salary, freedom is priceless. Ooh, that should be a tagline. I like that. That should be like on a t-shirt. Maybe we need to market that. I trademark it. I called it already. (laughs) Um, so on to the next one, and that would be reason number four. Uh, what are you waiting for? Reason number four, you're waiting for retirement. We have a lot of people that are waiting to retire. And what do you think about that, Paul? Because that, that makes a lot of sense. That's a real tough one because most jobs, if you do have a retirement plan with your job, now keep in mind, 
There's a lot of people out there. The pension is kind of a thing of the past. If you're a government employee, you have some kind of retirement plan. But most people are on a 401k type plan where it's not tied to their employment. If you're in that situation, then you have the ability to move and you can move your 401k with you. You don't lose your 401k. There are some people, though, primarily like law enforcement, where if you wait to retire at a certain age, having done so many years of service, you get a higher payout in retirement than if you retire now. That's just a real tough one because, yeah, if you do another five years in your current job and then you max out your retirement, you know, then you can move and, and you've done the best you can with that. And it's really hard to say, well, gee, don't do that because you're turning away you know, a significant amount of money. Um, but we also have people that are years away from retirement and they talk about it like a prison sentence. You know, I got 15 more years left and then I can retire. That's a long time to give up for what the opportunities may be here for you and for your kids in order to max out your retirement. Uh, you may just have to come here, get a job uh, and give up that retirement there and start a new retirement here. Which surprisingly, we've actually had a lot of police officers who are not waiting to retire, which that used to be, it was kind of like that, you know, we called it the golden handcuffs that, you know, I'm stuck for another eight years, five years, and I can't tell you how many police officers are leaving California, that's city, county, uh, CHP, who have decided they don't want 10 more years in California. They don't want five more years in California. And uh, they're going to make it work out here and get something, uh, another job, and use their retirement here, you know, a lesser amount. So it really, everybody's different. Um, But, you know, retirement is a valid reason, but it's not a valid reason to be miserable. And make no mistake about it, there are no guarantees with a pension coming from California. It's no secret that California is broke. No matter what they tell you about the budget, uh, their budget's not balanced. They don't really have a true surplus. If they did their accounting the way that businesses have to do accounting, California would be in the red. And there's a lot of money sitting at CalPERS. That's very, very tempting for politicians to reach out and tap, even in the short term, in order to balance the budget. We've already seen increased contributions to CalPERS, and unfortunately, retirees don't make the strongest political block because they're already retired, and especially if those retirees move out of state, then they really have no say in what happens with their CalPERS pension. So there's no guarantees there either. Well, and I'll say this, we did have money in CalPERS. We didn't retire through, you know, as in police work. But we took our money out of CalPERS and rolled it over uh, here into Tennessee. And a lot of people, I've realized, a lot don't realize that they can roll their CalPERS over uh, when they're done, right? Into another, give it to a financial advisor, basically. Well, as with everything, check with CalPERS first because there's all kinds of rules and regulations. But yes, you may have the ability to take your money out of CalPERS and put it into another tax-deferred retirement type account. But you need to check with CalPERS and your financial planner on that to make sure that you're eligible to do that. And if you find out that you can, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Doesn't make much sense to me. Why would you leave your money in the safe in the Titanic? That's true. Either way, it ends up at the bottom of the ocean. That's right. So the next one would be, I believe, one, two, three, four, five. Reason number five, what are you waiting for? Uh, We hear this a lot. You're waiting for your kids to graduate high school. 
one is we really need to number these bullet points. <laughs> I know. We so we do. don't sound like we're doing the count from Sesame Street. <laughs> one bullet point, two bullet okay, points. Okay, I'm going to do it now as you talk. But so you're waiting for your kids to graduate high school. And before you say anything, I think it matters. Are you waiting six weeks for them to graduate high school or three years? Obviously, that makes a difference. If this is a year your kids are graduating high school, well, in California, if this is a year that they're going to appear on Zoom uh, during graduation, then, yeah, maybe you wait until May or June before you move to let them finish out high school. But kids are very, very able to adapt. They have the ability to integrate into their environment. And the nice thing about moving here to Tennessee from a kid's standpoint being a new kid here, is they're not the only ones. One of the things that kids are always concerned about is, gee, I'm going to be the only new kid. I'm going to stand out. Here in Tennessee, half the kids in the school are going to be brand new. When we took our kids to their first day of school, and this is going back eight years, the teacher said, who here is brand new to this school? And at least a third of the class raised their hands. That, that was their first day of school. And so it gives kind of an instant bond from that standpoint. The other thing to think about, too, regarding your kids in high school is that moving to a new school gives your kid a chance to reset. So some kids sometimes end up, you know, taking on a persona that maybe they don't like or they're hanging out with people that they're not really fond of, but there's no easy way to to break away from that given the social structure of high school and how difficult it is to change. But if your kid moves here in their sophomore year and they start their junior year here in Tennessee, that's a reset for them. They're coming in as a brand new student, and now they can get into the social groups and the athletic groups and the social clubs that maybe they would not have taken advantage of in California. And for us, our we had a senior who just graduated high school before we left, and then we had two going into junior high, and it was our senior who was the one that was not looking forward to starting junior college in Tennessee whatsoever, yet he's the one who told me later, I sure wish we had come when I was in high school. I would have had friends in high school here. And there's just, you know, don't, they're kids, you know, and just try and remember that even though they're, the teenagers are in grown adult bodies, you know, they don't have the perspective that you have as a parent to know that this too shall pass and that they will be better off uh, in Tennessee uh, speculatively, let's just think about this, with COVID, whatever number coming up this fall, most of your kids haven't been in school. Uh, people in Tennessee don't even understand that. Here, they're in school, and I can even point out counties, they've been in school pretty much the whole time without masks. So um, just remember that. While your kids may be sad, you know there's something better ahead for them and model that for them uh, so they see it. So Waiting for kids to graduate is a poor excuse if they're not graduating this year. And I think we talked about this on our prior podcast, in that when you do get your kids out here, get them involved right away in stuff that interests them, whether that's soccer, softball, guitar lessons, whatever it is, drama. Get them involved so that they start to make friends, they start to get into the community, and they start to feel like they're more part of uh, Tennessee. I think, what was that, podcast number one? Was it podcast number two? I don't know. Most, most Some of these people are young families. They're not even going to know what you're talking about with Sesame Street and the count. I promise you, they don't know Sesame Street. They don't know the electric company. They don't know Via Allegre. Somebody needs to tell me how to get to Sesame Street. They don't know Zoom. Do you ever watch Zoom as a kid? No. Come on and Zoom, 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 a Zoom. I double dog dare you to say that. Okay, everybody. On to our sixth reason that some of you are waiting 
to move to Tennessee. Number six reason, some of you are waiting for that perfect Tennessee house to come on the market. You are the ones who stay up at night in bed looking at Zillow and Redfin and that perfect house just has not shown up or it's pricier than you thought it would be. And that's a dangerous game to play because the perfect house may not come up until you're actually ready to move. We're big believers that God will present the opportunities when they're ready to be taken. We've had several clients come out who were just kind of kicking the tires and just wanted to be toured around the area. And we got done and they said, you know, there's really nothing that came up that we liked, but we really liked Lewisburg, but we're not ready to move for 60 days. Well, it does no good then for that perfect house to come up now because they're not ready to move for another 60 or not ready to go into contract for another 60 days. So if that perfect house comes out now, they can't get it. But I'm going to say a lot of our clients know that, though. We've had some very cool clients who go, you know what? That house is going to show up when I get here. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that I think are at more, more at peace and aren't as anxious. And that perfection, it really can be a stressor. Well, what happened with those clients that I was just referencing? They went back home when the time came for them to be ready to move out here. Within a day or two of when they gave us the green light, that perfect house for them did show up. And Joanna and I went out there and uh, put them on the video chat and drove through the neighborhood and drove up to the house and showed them the house and ended up being the perfect house for them. And so waiting for that perfect house to show up probably isn't going to happen until you're ready to take advantage of that opportunity. And and I'm, as a woman who loves all the Joanna Gaines farmhouse style, I could really, really covet all that stuff. I can get very jealous of somebody's kitchen. And as a man who hates the budget it requires to provide the Joanna Gaines lifestyle, mm-hmm. not a big fan. Yeah. Well, I could watch all those people doing the farmhouse stuff on social media, and boy, it looks so amazing. I could watch people work all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally just sit and watch people work mm-hmm. all day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so back to what I was saying. So as far as you ladies out there who want that perfect place, and this is so cliche, but it's true. Uh, any house that you put your family into has the potential out here of becoming a very, very precious home to your family. And while our home in California isn't aesthetically as attractive as our house here in Franklin, our home is our home. And and that home made me cry when we left it because there were so many sweet places that we had worked on and fixed and changed that it it does make me sad, you know, thinking, wow, we really made that house a home. So you have that potential to turn anything into something lovely and something lasting for your family. And the last thing I'll say on this point is that the first house you get here, you will get to know the area and you will likely find that there might be some place that you like better than the first place you land. So don't let the first place you land be the place that you go, this is where I'm gonna put down roots forever and ever, amen. Be open to the possibility that once you're here and into a place that two, three, five years from now, as your lifestyle changes, your needs and wants for a house may change. And then the perfect house will present itself for you at that time as well. I think that's a problem with people moving out here. They want to find the perfect home on the first swing. And that's a that's a big that's a tall order for people wanting to buy a house, you know, and and I did tell one client recently, it's very difficult 
not to find a house you like out here because I know when you told me, hey, let's start looking for a home. I said, I'm having a hard time because I love every neighborhood. So if you're moving out here and you do love the Southern charm and the Southern style, you're going to have a hard time because it is beautiful. So on to number seven, the seven, seventh reason that you are waiting to move to Tennessee. What are you waiting for? Well, some of you are waiting for house prices to drop in Tennessee. It And, and here's what we're hearing. It's getting pricey out there. And this kind of goes back to what we talked about in bullet point number two and waiting for your house to go higher. Trying to time the real estate market is very difficult. People that are paid a lot of money to time the real estate market frequently get it wrong. And they usually won't tell you, oh, the height of the real estate market is going to happen on May 5th, 2021. They'll say, well, we think the market's going to peak in 2022 to 2025. Well, that's a, a two-year range right there. So it's impossible to know when the real estate market is going to peak, when it's going to turn down. In terms of waiting for house, housing prices to drop in Tennessee, it doesn't appear that they're going to uh, anytime soon. So what you have going on right now is the Fed has just come out and said they're going to keep rates low for at least the next year uh, into maybe the next two years. So interest rates are probably going to stay fairly low. Uh, the Fed rate is not uh, directly does not directly influence the 30-year mortgage rate, but it does have some bearing on it. So with interest rates staying low and then people continuing to move to Tennessee, that's creating demand for housing, creating demand for jobs. And so even if California does take a downturn, they're not expecting Tennessee to necessarily take a downturn because of the influx of people coming in. And once California does take a downturn, then the exodus out of California might increase as people try to get out. So again, to compare it to the Titanic, when the Titanic first struck the iceberg, there was no panic. People weren't really jumping off into the cold water. Some calmly went to the lifeboats, but most of the people stayed on the ship because they feared it was going to stay up. It wasn't until the very end, as the ship is starting to go down, that people were willing to jump off into the freezing cold water in the hopes that they might be saved that way. This is where I want to call you my balloon popper, because that was not encouraging. <laughs> well, I, I it's remember. truth. I get I, it. I mean, it's the truth. Nobody. The bottom line is nobody knows when the Tennessee real estate market's going to change. Yeah. But it doesn't appear that it's going to go down significantly. And, and the higher risk is that California takes a downturn and the people in California can't get out at that point. We're not there now. But let's jump ahead three years from now. And California does take a downturn and those housing prices go down 10, 15, 20 percent. And Tennessee continues to go up. Now you're stuck in California with this house that you can't get out of. So before we go on to question number eight, I do think it's uh, important that many of you who are listening understand what we do, what our business is, and we are a real estate company that specifically helps clients out of state make Tennessee home. And of course, our niche is California because that's what we understand. But before we move on, I do want to let you guys know you can reach us uh, to help you find your Tennessee home at movingtotennessee at gmail.com. That's movingtotennessee at gmail.com. And uh, we would love to help you guys make Tennessee home. Uh, but before we go on to question number eight, I think it's important that people understand that not only are we uh, involved in real estate here in Tennessee, real estate investing has been our thing. And so you are kind of a research geek when it comes to speculation. And remember, guys, speculation is just that. It's a guess. Uh, but again, that's what 
brought us to Tennessee. So um, we do like to look at the research, uh, Paul especially. And so I want him to maybe explain to you a little bit about the real estate market speculation, kind of the buzz going on about California real estate. Well, and as we've said before, and, and you'll hear us say it again, this is kind of purely our guess and looking at the numbers, but uh, the numbers don't lie. And, you know, history is a pretty good indicator of what's going to happen in the future. So let's go back a little bit and talk about what was going on in California in 2019, headed into 2020. So coming at the end of 2019, coming into 2020, uh, January, February 2020, the number of homes in foreclosure was starting to kind of increase in some counties that was, you know, sending off some warning signals. Nothing that people were super concerned about, but they're like, hey, this is, you know, something we need to keep an eye on. So, for example, L.A. County, the numbers of homes in foreclosure were starting to go up. Now, one of the things to remember is that by the time somebody's home makes the foreclosure statistics, uh, they've usually missed three to four payments because the first time it becomes public that somebody's in foreclosure is when a notice of default is filed. Well, that notice of default is filed usually about four, after there's been four missed payments. So if a notice of default is filed in January, you've got to go back to you know roughly September, and that's when they missed their first payment, and then four months later they show up in the public record as being in foreclosure. And so January, February 2019, foreclosure starting to go up a little bit in places like LA County. Now, what happens is COVID hits in March 2020, and a lot of these emergency orders start to come into place in these moratoriums on foreclosures, in which the government said, hey, look, no foreclosures, no evictions. We don't really care what the reason is. We're putting a freeze on it right now. Real quick, didn't that happen in Tennessee too, or is that just California? Well, it happened nationwide. So there was a nationwide moratorium on foreclosures and evictions. And California also put their own specific ones in place as well. And so you had these two different rules that applied because California's rules were stricter, then you you didn't have to necessarily follow the federal rules in California because what the federal rule said is if California's laws provide more protection, then California's law prevails. But you know, let's focus on California for now because the nationwide moratorium affects everybody. But California put some specific rules in place. So we get to March, April, May, and no foreclosures are allowed, period. And banks are really trying to work hard to help people stay in their homes, not foreclose, uh, do some kind of forbearance agreements. So there's really this artificially low number of people that are not in foreclosure. So the number of foreclosure, foreclosure filings drops dramatically through 2020, which is no big shock. If you tell banks they can't foreclose, then there's not gonna be that many foreclosures. So now we cycle through and, and some of the moratoriums start to get lifted. Uh, President Biden has extended the federal moratorium through June 30th, but that only applies to a certain type of mortgage. That doesn't apply to all mortgages. So it's not a ban on all foreclosures. It's a ban on certain types of foreclosures, which affects about 40% of the current homes that have a mortgage on them. So it's not a 100% ban on foreclosures. So you'll start to see some of these foreclosures uh, that aren't covered by the federal ban start to percolate up. What California did was they recently passed a law that allowed foreclosures to go forward, but with some restrictions on it. So the law changed a little bit 
in that previously you couldn't foreclose at all. Now you can foreclose, you just have to jump through more hoops to do so. And so what we're starting to see is an uptick in foreclosure activity in California. So to give you some numbers and some idea, just looking at LA County, because California is a state of 40 million people, uh, and counties in California are very diverse. You've got you know Butte County, uh, which is uh, rural, sparsely populated. You've got Sacramento County, which is more urban. You've got LA County, which is just huge uh, by numbers. So you've got about 10 million people that live in LA County, but just looking at foreclosures in California, statewide there was an increase in statewide foreclosures but really kind of the the canary in the coal mine uh, is really LA County because of the large number of people there it has a oversized impact I think on the real estate market in California so to give you some numbers from January 2021 to February 2021 so this is now the moratoriums have by and large been modified or in some cases lifted and so banks are starting to foreclose again. So between January 2021, February 2021, the number of homes in default went up 62.5%. Those are people who've missed at least one payment. Typically they've missed four by the time they show up in that 62% number. The number of homes that have gone to auction between January 2021 and February 2021 went up 67%. So these foreclosures are starting to increase. And while the percentages are large, the raw numbers are fairly small because there's a lot of homeowners that haven't made a payment are going to end up going into foreclosure. It's just the banks have to jump through some more hoops to do so. But doesn't this have to do then with the mandate that the governor has put in place, Governor Newsom? I mean, does that have any effect on this? And why are they going to auction if there is a moratorium on the you know, on foreclosures. Well, see, that's that's where there's some confusion in this is that there's a, everybody sees in the news this word moratorium, but they don't realize that that doesn't necessarily apply to all mortgages. So while there is a nationwide moratorium on foreclosures, it only applies to certain types of mortgages. And if your home has a mortgage on it that doesn't fall into that category, you're not protected from foreclosure. Same thing with the California moratorium, for lack of a better word, on foreclosures is banks can foreclose now, they just have to jump through more hoops to do so than they used to. And in California, the reason that they're being held back, or I should say the reason they can't foreclose, one of those reasons is has to be COVID-related, correct? Yeah, so again, there's a whole bunch of hoops that banks have to jump through now. But, you know, yeah, you have to be COVID-impacted, et cetera, et cetera. So if my job, if I've been laid off, I can say it's COVID-related, and so you can't foreclose on me. I mean, there's other reasons why those haven't gone to auction yet, correct? Oh, sure. And in fact, so going back pre-COVID, before there were any new rules in place, if you had a rental property that had a tenant in it, the bank could foreclose much quicker than they could on a owner-occupied property. Now, one of the new rules is that if there's a tenant in the property and the tenant claims a COVID hardship, the bank cannot foreclose on that property without jumping through those additional hoops. But let's bring this back around. For those people, what you're saying is for those people who have mortgages right now um, and they're seeing people sell their homes next door, the neighbors are selling their homes for just astronomical numbers, right? It's a very high and hot market in California. Are you saying that the market that has the potential to change? Well, sure. Because if you look at it from this standpoint, if you're 
house is on the market at 500,000 and the house next door comes up for foreclosure and it sells at the foreclosure auction for say 300,000, well, then why am I gonna buy your house at 500,000 when I can buy the neighbor's house at 300,000? And yes, foreclosures tend to be pretty banged up and need work and everything else, but let's say as an investor, I come in and I, I buy the house of foreclosure for 300,000 and I put 50,000 into it to fix it up and I turn around and sell it for 400,000. I make a nice little $50,000 profit in a couple of months and I turn around and I sell that house for 400,000. Well, that's still $100,000 cheaper than your house. So again, why am I gonna buy your house at 500,000 when I can buy your fixed up neighbor's house at 400,000? So now you're forced to cut your price down and it starts to have a snowball effect on trying to get the prices down to what people are willing to pay. So I wanna make this personal for me. If I'm Susie Smith and I live in LA and I'm planning to sell my house, not this summer, but next summer, should I be concerned? I think you need to be concerned sooner than that because here's what's happening is that the banks are going to jump through these hoops. The banks cannot keep these these non-performing assets on their books forever. The Federal Reserve has come out and, and kind of said that they're not going to ease the capital requirements on banks. So the banks are going to have to move these through the system. And so they're going to jump through these hoops. And so if nothing else is done, I would anticipate that the number of homes in foreclosure and the foreclosure sales are going to go up pretty dramatically this year. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. I was looking at a couple of uh, websites and, and news articles that were talking about what they think the increase in foreclosures is going to be. And one uh, group, the ATTOM Data Solutions, they believe that foreclosures in California in 2021 are going to go up 284%. That's this year. That means in the next nine months, foreclosures between now and the end of the year are going to go up 284%. Now, you may go, okay, well, that's going to be the same thing in Tennessee. Well, this same data company is saying something opposite. They're saying that they think, based on the numbers they're seeing, that foreclosures are going to be regionally specific. So while California is going to go up in foreclosures by 284%. Potentially. Potentially. <laughs> they think Kentucky is not going to have any impact from foreclosures. And that's, again, one of the problems with being from California. And we, we had the same, we were the same way. You think everything is the same. You think every state is the same. You think, you know, everybody's going to be the same. So why am I going to move somewhere else right now when, when they're going to go through the same thing? We really have that kind of mentality being from a state that is the size of a small country. Well, and you also, too, even if you want to say, okay, well, comparing California to Kentucky is not apples to apples because California is so much bigger, Kentucky is so much smaller, housing prices are so much different. But even Florida, I mean, they think that Florida is going to go up in foreclosures, but they think their foreclosure increase is going to be about 65%. That's still far less than California's 238% increase in foreclosures for 2021. So this is why we are taping this podcast, and it's why we've titled it, What Are You Waiting For? Because we just want you to have as much information as possible to help you make the right decision for your family. Now, there is one final caveat to all of this. We don't know two things going into 2021 as we sit here in March. One, we don't know who the governor of California is going to be at the end of this year. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing we don't know is, what is the government going to do? I mean, my guess is they're going to do something. They're not going to let all these homes go into foreclosure, I don't think. They're not going to let the market go into any kind of potential free fall. 
if they even sniff out that there's a, a problem, I, my guess is they're going to step in and do something. And so that potentially changes this whole equation. If the governor or the government of California comes out in July and says, hey, we're putting a moratorium back on foreclosures, no more foreclosures. Well, okay, that puts a, a temporary stop to it. So when you say that that puts a temporary stop to it, does that mean that people should have no problem then selling their house and the, the you know, real estate's still going to stay high out there? Um, well, if you look at how the foreclosures have impacted the real estate market in the past, it would appear that it's going to put some downward pressure on those prices. I mean, again, if you have foreclosures coming on the market, those houses sell for less than what other homes in the neighborhood sell for. And that starts not only an, an actual downturn in prices, but it has a psychological effect of people going, well, you know, that house down there sold for 500000 I don't want to pay 600000 for this house. And most people still have memories of 06, 07. Like, I don't want to get trapped in a, uh, a downturn, so I'm not going to buy right now. And fewer buyers result in lower prices. So now everyone who's listening know, they know why I call you my handsome balloon popper. Yep, you're the only one who gets to call me that, though. For those people who go, well, goodness. Well, I, actually, I think most of the people have probably tuned this out by now. But <laughs> No, I think some people are actually listening. I get a lot of emails. But I'm, I'm going to say this, though. The people that are listening, they're going to go, well, wait a minute. I wasn't going to move to Tennessee for two years because I didn't want to pay Tennessee prices. I was hoping it would drop. If the mar- Why would the market change in Tennessee in the way it will in California? Why am I going to leave California if I'm just going to go into a Tennessee home that I'm buying high? Well, the number one reason is job market. So Tennessee has a very strong job market. So you have a lot of people moving here. And so that's keeping the demand for housing high. And it's basic economic supply and demand. So the demand is high. The supply is still relatively low for a number of reasons that we don't need to get into on this podcast. Um, So Tennessee real estate is probably not going to drop. And if it does, it's probably not going to drop as significantly as California. But the other reason for this is just the, the numbers that we're talking about. So to give you an example, I'm aware of a house in, in the Bay Area in California, uh, Hayward. Uh, it's a 900-square-foot house, three-bedroom, one-bath. was listed for 635 and went into escrow at $730,000 for a house that was built in the mid-60s. Now, when the, the people that are buying these homes are putting a lot of, are not putting a lot of money down, so they're borrowing a lot of money, so their mortgage payment's going to be high. If the market does take a downturn, just think about a 10% drop on that $730,000 house. You're now down at six fifty. Psychologically, that does a lot of damage. But if you haven't put very much money down, you're potentially getting close to being upside down now at that point. If the market takes a 20% drop from that seven thirty dollars price, you know, you're probably upside down as a buyer now. So what you like to say is what about being stuck in a state because we we survived the bubble bursting in 06 as investors it we did and we were stuck though in our house for a little bit well we're stuck with some of our things for a little bit while they went back to where they were what about people saying hey i'm gonna i'm gonna be stuck in tennessee i'm gonna be stuck in california well, a couple of things we say. One, if you're going to buy a house now, there is no reason not to get a 30-year fixed mortgage. The interest rates are incredibly low. The risk is taken off the table because you have a fixed payment for 30 years. Part of what got people into trouble in 06, 07 were, you know, five-year fixed loans that adjusted in year six 
Well, when they adjust, they adjust to current market rate. So if you get a 30-year fixed mortgage and your mortgage payment is something that you can afford, then as long as you have a job, which again, the job market in Tennessee is strong, you'll be able to afford that monthly payment regardless of the value of your house. So if your house goes down to being worth $0, you can still afford that monthly payment. So if you're going to be trapped in a house, the question to ask yourself is this, would you rather be trapped in a house in California or trapped in a house in Tennessee? Because either way, you're trapped. And that's encouragement from the mouth of my husband and the love of my life. Um, so that that's a little bit of the speculation, you guys. Just pay attention. That's all I say. Just pay attention and don't take it lightly, but don't let, don't stay up at night, you know? I mean, if you have time, which most of you do, you'll be able to ride these things out. But if you're already looking at leaving, uh, what are you waiting for? Really, what are you waiting for? Which takes us to our last, number eight. What are you waiting for? Reason number eight is uh, some of you, and I put this all together in one, some of you um, are waiting for the family, your extended relatives, to be okay with you leaving. Some of you are waiting for parents to agree to come with you. Some of you are some of you are even waiting for relatives to die before you leave. Wow, that was kind of harsh. <laughs> well, my goodness. I've heard it all. I have heard it all. And uh, what would you say about people waiting for family to and when I say family, I love what my brother-in-law says. He says family is who you fit in your hula hoop. The rest are relatives. So about the relatives that you love very much, what do you do about them? You have to make that same calculation you make with anything else. What's going to be best for you, your spouse, your kids? Because keep in mind that your parents, and if not your parents, your grandparents, likely moved to California from someplace else. Why did they do that? Why did they leave wherever it was they came from, whether it's you know the Oklahoma Dust Bowl or Michigan or New York or wherever they came from, why did they come to California? because it provided them with a better opportunity for their family, for their kids, and for their future. So what is wrong with you taking advantage of that same opportunity? And the difference between when you know your parents and grandparents moved to California from another state, there was no cheap air travel. I mean, relatively speaking, air travel is incredibly cheap now historically, even adjusting for inflation. So it's possible to go back to California if you book your tickets far enough out. It's fairly cheap. But there's also other technology like Zoom and FaceTime where you can talk to your parents and other family members face-to-face. So you have to ask what is going to be best for, for your immediate family. And like Joanne said, those people in your hula hoop. And, I mean, you could probably speak better to that because you're more emotionally tied to family and people. <laughs> yeah. I know that's hard to believe having listened to this. <laughs> Uh, that was hard for me. You know, there is an adventurous side of me though. So that was nice. My mom passed away uh, 20 years ago, but I did have to leave my dad and stepmom and, um, and, and, and the, your grandma. And I was just going to say, and the hardest one of all was my grandma. I left my aunts and cousins, siblings, all my siblings, pretty much everybody. Paul and I moved here with nobody here. And, uh, we just started for our clients, uh, just recently having a monthly, uh, 
gathering in our home here. And I'll tell you, it's the sweetest thing because whenever I talk to somebody, these people usually say, you know, I don't know anybody in Tennessee or I'm moving with just my mom and my husband and our kids. We don't have anybody else. People saying, I've never even been to Tennessee and I'm buying a new home. So people feel alone until we bring them together. And it is interesting to see just how fast you connect. And, And I like to tease about it, but there's some truth to it. You know, a couple hundred years ago when America was growing, people didn't hate where they lived on the coast of Greece or in Italy. You know, did they really hate living in Sicily? I, I doubt it. And but they left a beautiful place for a better opportunity for for a better opportunity for their children, most especially. And that's that's really what it is for us. If I looked at just me and me being sad and me leaving, well, then I, I didn't want to leave. But for my kids it really has been um, the best for them. It really had, they have, a, they're thriving here in ways that I uh, usually share when we meet for coffee, but they're doing great. And uh, Paul and I get to retire. So all these things have a domino effect, leaving those people you love, surprisingly, they come out and visit. And when they come, they stay and your time with them is even better. We had one guy who uh, his mom was in her 90s. He did. He he wasn't waiting for her to die, but she was saying, go ahead and go live your life, honey. I've lived mine. But he was sad because he did want to be there for her before she passed away. But he would go out every month for a couple days and his wife would say, okay, honey, go see your mom. And they had the sweetest time, more than just one dinner every couple months. They actually had days together. So they're the thing they were concerned about moving to Tennessee ended up becoming a blessing in disguise because he got to spend days with her, just him and his mom and siblings alone. And it was just, it's a precious time that now that she's gone, he really is grateful for. And if you're going to be out here in Tennessee, even if you're just out here to tour the area, you're not sure you're going to move out here yet, let us know when you're going to be out here. If we're doing one of those get-togethers, we'll be happy to have you over so you can meet some other people who've done what you're thinking about doing. We did that. We had people flying out. We weren't even going to meet them for a few days, and they came out. We had a couple couples and family. Um, We are, you'd think with our police background, right, we just are very open. Hey, come. We trust that our our listeners are amazing, and the people we're helping, wait till you meet some of these people. They're fantastic. I think the bigger deterrence, more my antisocial behavior. You are not. You are very fun. You say that every time, and you are. You're very fun and fun to talk to. Thanks for listening to Exodus California. We are so grateful for listeners like you. Show us your appreciation and subscribe and share this podcast with all your friends. If you'd like to receive personalized real estate listings, email us at movingtotennessee at gmail.com. That's movingtotennessee at gmail.com. And let us help you make Tennessee home. I'm putting that at the end. Here you go. Come on and zoom, 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 zoom. I double dog dare you to say that. Okay, dear. Barbecue's ready.